Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Okay, we're live. Right now? Right now, we're here. Here we are, folks. (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) How's it going over there, friend? Oh, boy. How's it going with you? (laughs) Oh, I found out an hour ago I have shingles, so <laughs> super good. Super good. Things Happy are good. Happy tears. Happy tears. <laughs> Things are really good. That's great. Yeah. That's really great, Erin. Really great. We uh, totally just didn't air last last week. We just skipped it. We just gave it the hard pass. Nah, we, we're not going to do it this week. We're we're kind of in the midst of a lot of different projects and, and whatnot. I wasn't. Um <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I had a long weekend planned to go camping that um, Hurricane Flo uh, canceled for me. So, yeah, I had I had no I had no real plans, but it was nice to just relax and like not immediately, you know, have something come off of my plate and then add it right back on with something else. So I, I literally don't know that feeling. <laughs> you do not. You do not. You do not. Yeah, I um, I really I'm working myself into an early grave over here. But it's all fun stuff, despite the shingles. It's all really fun stuff. Shingles, it's super fun. We just threw in shingles to mix it up a little bit. I haven't right. had shingles before, so now I can yeah. blog about it. Yep, we'll add it to the list. Put it on my tab. Put it yep. on my tab. Yep. Um, so yeah, we kicked off the Commit to Ninety group, which was very fun. Uh, there's a lot of really good people in that group, so I'm wicked excited about it. Um building up a new membership model, which I'll talk about in another episode. I've got an affiliate program, so I'll throw that out to you guys. If you're a business owner that are that's listening, um, if you own a yoga studio, if you're a physical therapist, any type of business that would that you feel you could offer some good uh, good, clean, fun, nutrition advice too, um, sign up for my affiliate program because you'll get 20% off of any programs that you send people to. So I've got my carb compatibility project coming up. It starts October 8th. And um, yeah, I'm really jazzed about that. So you can get on that like lickety split. Cool. Cool. Um, I just got to go to a beauty counter training in Atlanta. Um, and that was pretty awesome. Is that how they say it in Atlanta? Uh, no, that's just how I just said it. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. I, reg- I regret. I regret. <laughs> um, but it was really cool timing because I had just taken the leap and became a consultant after using their products for over two years now. And then immediately after, they announced these trainings that were happening all across the country. Um, so I was pumped to go and learn more about the business and their mission and... 
I don't know. It's kind of like studying nutrition in the sense that the more you learn, the more you realize there is to learn. And the more you learn just how sketchy things are in terms of regulation. Like, yeah. same with food. You kind of assume things are innocent until proven guilty. And that is definitely not the case. Um, I still have a tough time wrapping my head around the fact that there are over 80,000 chemicals available for use right now in personal care products. And the last time I just like, I chuckle at this. The last time the U S passed a law to regulate the safety of those ingredients was in 1938. Um, that seems fine. Our minimum wage was a quarter. <laughs> That's what you get paid for the podcast. <laughs> exa- I'm still waiting for the check. <laughs> so um, if you live in the Asheville area and want to get your hands on some products to see what they're all about, I will be hosting a little two-hour wine social on Friday, October 12th. Um, so shoot me an email if you're interested in coming so I can so I can vet you, <laughs> basically, because I can't just have like random, you know, creepy strangers showing up at my place. So I don't think it, any creepy strangers listen to our podcast. I hope not. I hope not. You don't want people showing up at your doorstep with a bottle of two buck chuck like I'm here for the wine social. <laughs> they they will be let in yeah i actually yes i do want those people there um and if you can't make it and you still want to get your hands on some products and just try them out and talk about some options let me know shoot me an email and we can meet for coffee or i can just drop off some products for you to try so that's that cool um how did carb compatibility program go well, yeah, because it's been a while since we've been on the, the show together. Um, it was awesome. Like, it was really, really super fun. Um, I had a good experience, and sounds like all the ladies did too. And I'm kind of uh, shined it up a little bit. So the last group was a beta group, and I did that on purpose because I created the content in real time, which was a ton of work, but it was awesome in that I could deliver the content that people like actually want, you know, like, what are your questions? What do you need to know about what's going on out there? And I could create that content. Um, so I took all their feedback at the end, like, how could I make this better? How, what could, could I do differently? Like what could enhance your experience and just added a, a few new things. So I'm excited about that. Like I said, it starts October 8th, but I'm totally going to close down res- registration October 5th because I want to make sure you guys have all of the resources and have plenty of time to pick through it before it actually starts just to set you up for success. And whenever you sign up, if you sign up today, you will get access to the bonus material, which is a prep week. So you can kind of like ease your way into this whole lower carb lifestyle so it doesn't feel like you know super jarring um my I would say that my favorite part about it was the private Facebook group and it was it's awesome because even though it's a virtual program which I love even people that are local that do it it's still great because you know you can do it from anywhere you don't have to be anywhere right it's like we're all so busy and we all have crazy different schedules so it's like just gives people the opportunity to opt in uh no matter where you are and what your schedule is but I still felt really connected to everybody, even though we weren't meeting in person through that Facebook group. And participants said that they 
they felt like they were getting personalized nutrition advice, which is awesome for a group program. Um, and they loved the weekly videos because I got to answer really specific questions and I got to go in depth, you know, with people. Um, and I could give that personal attention even within the group setting. So everybody got to learn from everybody else. And the questions were really insightful and awesome. Like I learned some things too, which was cool. Like, it was like how to how to stack carbs around exercise, what to do if I feel like this or what to do if I feel like that, questions about hormones, questions about adrenals, just lots of good stuff. You know, it wasn't like, uh, is peanut butter allowed on this program or like, can I eat corn? You know, it wasn't like mm -hmm. those type of questions. We really dove in deep. And honestly, I'm really happy to be able to offer that because I'm seeing a lot of permission asking through other food programs. Do you know what I mean? Uh, let me explain because that – let me explain what I mean. Um, so like I know, Kyle, you are too, but we're part of different Facebook groups for health or food or nutrition, you know, for better or worse. And um, in one group just last week, I saw a post about um, asking if a splash of soy milk was allowed in her coffee. So a woman posted. And – like a grown woman asking a group of strangers for permission to add a spoonful of soy milk into her coffee. Like this is where we're at with nutrition. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Like you, she needs to, she needed to ask permission for that. And it's just like such a crazy, crazy thing. There are a lot of like quotes that I gravitate towards, um, that fire me up and that like kind of fuel my business. Um, Incidentally, most of them come from uh, feminist poetry or rap. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, but one of them is most deaf. When y'all were asking permission, I just stepped up and took it. It's an oldie but a goodie. Um, and I love that so much because we're all sitting around like with our thumbs up our bums, like asking everybody for like, can I do this? Can I eat, can I eat peanut butter? And really it's like, you can do whatever you, you damn want. You're a grown ass woman, you know, like you can make that choice for you. And personally in my whole health and wellness journey, I got to a point where I just could not ask permission for my food or my body or my needs anymore. I just started taking what I needed, which is a kind of a radical concept. Um, guess what? The world didn't end when I did that. And incidentally, it was around the same time that I stopped apologizing for my body and I stopped apologizing for myself. So it can be really freeing to just go ahead and take what you need. Um, but I also know that it's a scary thing because it's so different. So if you feel like you're in that position where you have to ask others for permission, Ask yourself, like, has that ever led you to your truth? And maybe, maybe your answer is yes. And if so, great, keep on doing your thing. But really sit with that question and think about it a little bit. Um, a large part of the work that I do, both through private consulting, public workshops, and online programs, is creating space for women to give themselves their own permission. And it's even within the framework of learning about food and nutrition and doing a food program. Like, you can still access your own your own permission. Um, so I'm glad that that message is getting across. And uh, if that's something that you want to explore more, definitely jump in on October's CCP. Yeah, there is, there is definitely a flip side to some of the Facebook groups. And I'll often see people asking others for permission, like, is it okay if I'm eating this? If this makes me happy? Like, can I still do it? Um, and I think, can I be happy? Can, can I, I just, is can I live? Okay? Can I be happy on this program? And I think having these groups to bounce ideas off of, um, off of each other 
are really helpful. You just have to remember that a lot of these people are not only total strangers, so they don't know everything that's going on with you, but they also don't all have formal education in health and nutrition. And like you said, we've both used these groups many times before to get another opinion. And I think it can be really helpful for that. But you just have to remember that what worked for someone else um, and what someone else has or is experiencing, it doesn't mean the same is going to be true for you. So if you're using the online groups to ask, you know, specific questions about your health or what you should or shouldn't do, just try to remember it's, it's all just information. And ultimately it's up to you to decide what works best for you and your situation. Um, but I think this is why, uh, your online groups and programs are done so well, Erin, because you do a really good job of making sure the group is a place where people can connect to other people going through the same program, but also they're getting really sound nutrition education and information from an actual practitioner and somebody that legit never stops researching until they get shingles. (laughs) (laughs) I will research until I get viruses, people. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. So sad but true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Should I talk now? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. So something that's like totally out of left field, but it's something I really wanted to bring up. It hasn't, you know, it's, we're going to eventually get to listener questions. <laughs> P.S. on today's show. Where you're, that's the goal. We're going to talk for 75 minutes before we get there. Oh. But it's something I wanted to bring up. Um, because we were talking about this off air and I feel like let's, let's save it for the mic. But, um, there was a recent blog post written by a Canada based nutritionist, Megan Telpner. I brought her up on the show before. I'm a big fan of, of what she's doing. So go follow her if you haven't yet. Um, in the, the, I think the blog post was called why goldfish don't belong in your kid's lunchbox, something like that. And so she, she posted it and I followed it on social media like a hawk because I wanted to see what people were saying about it. And there were a lot of folks really supporting her, like rah-rah, shishkumba, sharing it all over the place, like stoked. And then there were a lot of people who did not. And that's kind of honestly more of what I expected to see. And quite frankly, it's the reason that I don't talk about kid feeding much other than what I feed my kid. Because moms get real cagey when you start to talk about what they're feeding their kids. And it comes from a good place. Like I'm not I'm not knocking it. It, it comes from a good place. You know, we're all doing the best we can with the knowledge and the resources that we have. As moms, as parents, we're just trying to get by day in and day out. But it's Anytime we feel like we're doing less than or if we feel like we're making the wrong choice, we freak out. We freak the what out. And sometimes this freak out kind of comes out as anger. And sometimes it can be misdirected anger. So something that I read that Megan said in one of her comments, um, and I'm a little bit paraphrasing, but it was something like, I'll never understand why the anger is targeted at the nutritionist and not at the food industry. Hmm. Right? Love it. Love it. And I was like, well, hot damn. Like, if that isn't the problem in in a nutshell, then I don't know what is. Uh, because all she's trying to do as you know, an expert in the field is deliver information. Like here are the facts at hand. And then you as the consumer of that information get to choose what to do with that info. Like that's all that's, all that's going on here. Um, but then people 
get mad at the facts. So she's delivering the facts. People get mad at the facts and then they get mad at her. Um, but it's kind of like a don't shoot the messenger type of deal. Like instead of getting upset with the people delivering the information, get mad at the root of it, right? Um, just this week I posted about the recent lawsuit with Bob's Red Mill. They, um, they're being sued because their oats were found to contain glyphosate and that's even their organic oats. Um, and so when I posted that, people were like, Bob's Red Mill is the devil. Like people like were not happy. They were not happy at all. Um, and so can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, my mic keeps flashing and I'm like, oh, I can't deal with any tech issues tonight. Mm -hmm. I have shingles, people. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so people were like really getting mad and I was like, whoa, 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 hold the phone. Is this anger mis misdirected? It kind of is. Because they, Bob's Red Mill, may have been up to some tomfoolery and some hijinks, but the real devil here is Monsanto. And we have to look at the people who are allowing these toxins into our food system. We have to go higher up. We have to go right to the source. So don't get mad at the nutritionist or the small company. Get mad at Monsanto, USDA, FDA, EPA. Like, question their motives. I think we're just wasting our time getting upset at the people reporting the facts. Like, we have to get upset with the people who are allowing this to happen. Like, come correct. Um, so anyway, it kind of ties into my Build a Better Lunchbox. I did this free webinar workshop, online workshop. And um, because I was like, I have to pack lunches for Hattie for the first time. And I was, you know, creating a bunch of resources for me. And I figured if I was doing it for myself, other people could stand to benefit from them. But I almost didn't do it. And it was pretty popular. Um, like over 100 people were there. And I think that video has been viewed 1,500 times. So oh my God. yeah, clearly there's a need for it, right? Um, but I almost didn't do it because I was so, so nervous that I was like, well, this can kind of go one of two ways. People can be stoked to have the resource or people can get really pissed off that I'm telling them what to feed their kids. <laughs> like, And I was just so nervous, but I got, I got really positive feedback. So I'm glad for that. But and FYI, if, if you didn't see it, it's still available on my Erin Holt Health Facebook page. You can go find it, that video there. But, you know, kid feeding is tough. It's just tough. There's no there's no way around it. Um, sometimes, if I'm, you know, being honest, I do feel like we have to live a little counterculture in order to do what I feel is the right thing. Um, Hattie, you know, as you guys know, started pre-K this year and... You know, I so I pack her lunch, but they feed their snacks, and they had told me all snacks are either fruits or veggies, and I'm like, okay, cool, I can I can get with that. Um, and then one day I dropped her off, and I noticed Eggo waffles and Aunt Jemima pancake syrup sitting on the counter, and I was like, mm. ah, that doesn't look like a fruit or a veggie. And I really didn't know how to handle it. I didn't want to handle it in the moment and make everybody feel weird. So I called Scott when I was driving away, and I'm like, what do, what do I do about this? Do I just like, you know? gloss over this? Do I not say anything? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is something you address head on. Like our child does not eat this food. She never has. This is not something we're willing to compromise on. It's going to take extra work on our part to live the way that we want to live. Like get used to that, like, and do the right thing. <laughs> I was like, okay. Wow. Go Scott. Yeah, go Scott. So I was like, all right, all right. He fired me up and I sent an email and they were so awesome and wonderful and understanding. And they were like, we'll buy whatever food you want. Like they were really, really great. But it is extra work. It really is. It's extra work because, 
you have to go against the grain. And I feel like for parents who are already feeling strung out and maxed out, that this this feel can feel really tough. And it might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, you know? Like, I totally get where that parents just want to draw the line and be like, you know what? It's just too hard. Like, I get that. But yeah, this actually it. does a pretty good job of leading into our first listener question. How did you get Scott on board with healthy eating and living? Yeah, so I've got this question a bunch of times, like a lot in the past month. Um, so um, I don't really have any great answers. <laughs> I don't have any great answers, but I can kind of talk through my approach. And Kyle, you can kind of chime in too. Um, I, you know, I was like this when when we met. I was, you know... I don't know. I was just like this. I ate the similar way. I lived a similar way. And I kind of feel like there's just parts of, of each other that you adopt in a relationship, right? Like he's was really big and he's really big into the band Fish. Kyle, do you, do you know about them? <laughs> Shut up. I was like, my friend Kyle also likes fish. <laughs> but it's like such a culture. And it, it's not just like he likes this band. Like he went to high school in the 90s. He's like jam band central. Or not high. Mm-hmm. Wait, he graduated. I don't even know. He old. Whatever. Um, but like it's like a big culture for him. Um, and so that's like a joke that that's like something that I married into. Um, and I did not make up that joke by myself uh, that – that is from my friend Rebecca Chernoff. Um, but it's like a culture that I married into because it's such a big part of Scott that I'm like, yeah, I can get down with this. This is important to you. Yeah, it's important to me now too, right? Same thing with hiking. Like I wasn't a real big hiker until I met Scott, but like it was such a huge part of his life that I'm like, okay, now this is a part of my life. And I just kind of feel like it was a similar thing with just living healthy or, you know, whatever you want to say, like eating good food and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think he just knew that it was – Food and healthy living is one of my things. You know, I always cooked a lot. We went to up to camp often and I would always bring healthy food. I would bring like Dr. Bronner's biodegradable soap. It's just who I am. And I really honestly never felt like I had to convince him of anything. I think he just adopted it. So I understand that that's a lot easier than trying to switch gears. Like if you meet your significant other and then like 10 years later, you're like, and now we're going to be healthy, you know, like trying to create an entire regime change like years in can be a little bit more difficult. It might not land as well. Um, But this, the question kind of came in in a variety of ways. One was like spending money on good food. One was on eating organic. Another one was just like, how do you get them to like, how do I get my husband to change his ways? Um, So I went straight to the horse um, and asked Scott for advice, hoping he would like craft up this like really eloquent um, answer. And he did not, but he, he was like, he's like, it basically requires a total culture change. Like everybody has to systemically, systematically change their beliefs. Um, and he's been exposed to it for so long because we've been together for eight years that he's just been like steeped in the counterculture with me. He's drinking the Kool-Aid. But it's like a lot of what we talked about back in episode 18 when we talked about healthy eating on a budget, right? Like it's a it's a cultural change. Um, so I don't know, maybe have your partner listen to that episode. And I will say talking about budget, um, when we – created a budget when we first moved into our house you know it was the first time we had a mortgage and we're like okay we gotta get on a budget and so he was like here's what we have for food and I just laughed because we easily spent double that in a week um so 
for me, good food is a absolute non-negotiable. It's just a priority. Um, and if that's high up on the priority list, that means other things have to drop down the priority list. That's how priorities work. So certain things like we gave up, like cable, uh, buying new clothes, like I don't get my hair done. I don't get my nails done. I'm not a shopper. There's, you know, when we were on a much tighter budget than we are now, we spill, still spent the same amount of money on food. Um, it's just other things that we tweaked around that. And I, I should also note here, because it kind of ties into the whole permission thing that I was talking about earlier, but I don't ask for permission to spend money on things. That is just not the dynamic in our house. Um, we each have our passions and we each feel really strongly about certain things. And that's where our money goes. Um, so I know that might potentially be a different position in other households, but that's kind of where where we stand. Um, I guess in terms of getting him to change, change his ways, you really want to play to his interests. I think you have to kind of know your your spouse or your partner and, and play to his or her interests. Like, so if he's a facts guy, right, like show him the research on how devastating glyphosate is to our health in order to convince him that organic produce is important. Like show him the data, show him the research. Um, if he's more of an outdoorsy guy, like, like my guy, talk to him about how sustainable food is necessary for the environment. If he's big into community, get him to meet some farmers. Um, this was something Scott did too. He became pals with the Vernons. I always talk about Vernon family farms or Jeremiah and Nicole. And he was able to see how much time, how much effort, how much attention and care and love went into growing food. And he honestly never looked back after that. He's like, oh no, we just shop at farms. Like that's what we do. Like that's the right thing to do. So um, I think I think you just have to kind of play, you know, like figure out what he's most interested in and like talk to him around that. And really at the end of the day, if this is something that's really important to you, find ways to express that. Like this matters to me. Um, and if you can't get on board with something that matters to you, then it sounds like there's a bigger fundamental problem at play here other than like whether or not you're buying organic celery, um, mm. you know? I don't know. That's, I'm the, certainly not an, a relationship expert, but like I just – and I think sometimes we have a hard time saying like, hey, this is important to me. Like I need your support. I need your help. Um, and oftentimes when we ask for help or like for support in something, we put parameters on what it should look like. So it's like <laughs> – um, I want you to load the dishwasher, but I don't want you to load it that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like, so I had asked Scott, this is a, this at one point this summer, he had a friend coming over and I was like, listen, I'm maxed out. Like you're in charge of getting all the food for hosting your friend. Like you have to get all the food. So we went and he's, I'm like, the only thing that I need is vegetables. We have no veggies in the house. So we went to Vernon family farm and he got like bacon and potatoes and eggs for the next morning. He got beef and cheese to make cheeseburgers. And for vegetables, <laughs> for vegetables, he got one summer squash and one cucumber. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell do I even do with those two things? But I didn't say anything because like that, you know, that was him helping and like doing the most, right? Like yeah. that was it. So I don't know. That's all I've got. I know that you remember this, but when I started school for nutrition, my um, boyfriend at the time thought going to the Cracker Barrel or Burger King was considered a special occasion. Um, <laughs> it's like the grossest. It was the grossest. Um, 
his eating habits were gross, to be honest. And after I started school, I stopped eating meat like pretty soon after. And that made things even more challenging. And I mean, I've dated a few people since then, and they've all had really different eating habits. And I think a big thing for me was trying not to control what someone else is eating. Not to say that I haven't tried to do that before, but I kind of look at it this way, like, what if I flipped it? What if they were giving me a hard time about what I was eating or buying or cooking? I feel like I wouldn't respond in a positive way to that. I, I wouldn't respond by doing what they wanted me to. I would rebel against that approach. So to your point, Erin, I think to a certain extent, you just got to do you, but also try to find a way to approach it from a place that they'll connect to um, rather than you just getting really frustrated with them for not being on board with the way you eat or not making um, their health more of a priority. Yeah. And like, don't yuck somebody's yum. Like they're eating Kraft mac yes, and cheese. You're like, do you know what's? Do you know how many chemicals are in that? That's the worst. If somebody, gave, if I felt like having, you know, a salad for dinner, and somebody gave me a hard time about that, like it's no different than me giving them a hard time about what they're eating for dinner. So it's just like nobody wants to hear it. Um, and it might be a really like slow process too. Like maybe right now you cook healthy dinners, but you have no control over what they're eating during the day. It might never be a hundred percent aligned. Um, maybe they eat the same stuff as you all week, but on the weekends they want to have takeout and beer and that's their prerogative. And I think you just have to meet them where they're at and show them that there's a different way through your habits, but without the pressure that they need to do the exact same thing. Uh, the food budget is hilarious. I We have talked about that, laughed about it so many times before. Um, easily one of my biggest expenses and something my exes and I would often disagree on. But what I've done in the past is I've actually broken it down. I've taken the number... Um, that we spent at the store and I've broken it down into the number of meals and snacks. You know, when you meal prep, it's pretty easy to do that, um, to like break down the number that it provides us each week and then compare that cost to takeout, restaurants, vending machines. So it might seem like a lot of money at the register, but when you're, when you're breaking it down like that dollars per day per person for X number of meals and snacks, I feel like it's a bit easier for people to wrap their heads around. That's such a good idea. That's a really, that's a pro tip. Pro I would tip. Say. Um, yeah. I'm like, don't buy me diamonds, but I'm like, I want, I want <laughs> more veggies. Yeah. I want more veggies and I want <laughs> grass-fed and beef. Please. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So next question is from Kristen Keefe. Uh, she writes, I just started listening to the podcast and I really like it. I'm studying to be an NTP and want to build my practice around smart, fact-based nutrition. There can be a lot of hysteria and food fear out there, a lot of which I've gone through personally and came out the other side wanting to do better. When I listen to your podcast, I think that the two that you two share a similar perspective and want to keep things as common sense and scientific as possible, which I really appreciate. Thanks. Thanks. I wanted to ask a question about candida. It's near and dear to my heart because I've been told to go on a candida diet a few times now, but I also want to know for when I have clients coming in with questions about candida in the future. 
In my own case, I've been told by a few practitioners now that candida is causing my chronic UTI symptoms, but have never been shown a test result to back this up. I've been eating a whole foods diet, very low in natural sweeteners and alcohol for close to three years now. And I've even done stints on gaps for over six months where I really wasn't having any sugar or alcohol at all. I didn't notice a difference in my symptoms. And in fact, I think I actually felt worse because of all the restriction. Also, when I was eating lower carb, I lost my period and was tired a lot of the time. I feel better energy and even digestion wise with more good carbs in my diet. Throughout this process, I've come to see my battle with dysbiosis as a gradual one that I'm supporting by choosing a whole foods diet every day, but also allowing myself to have a glass of wine or a treat once or twice a month. This idea of balance, that there's no food that I can't have, has really helped me psychologically and my UTI symptoms have improved but not completely gone away. I personally think this is be- this is more because we haven't targeted the precise issue than anything to do with my diet, but sometimes I wonder if I should be more strict to see better progress, especially when this is what my practitioners are telling me to do. The other thing is I've found that I've react that I react really strongly to antimicrobial herbs. So I have to take them really slowly and probably will be working on this for a number of months. It's a long time to be following a really strict diet. So I guess I have a couple questions. Is a candida diet an all or nothing diet that demands 100% compliance to make any progress? Or is it enough to follow a whole foods diet while cutting back on candida feeding foods and seeing it as more of a long-term process? Finally, what specific foods do you think are the most important to cut out on a candida diet? Some people go as far as saying nuts and beans. Thanks for any information you can provide. This is a hard topic to find any solid information on. You did a great job reading. I know. Bravo. I know. That was a well good done. One. It's it's been brutal in the past. <laughs> um okay, so we it's a very long question. We wanted to read it in its entirety because I think it says a lot of different things that people really need to hear and I also want to showcase that this is kind of the landscape of the functional medicine alternative health world right now where People are being put on these crazy restrictive diets and they have no idea if they're working or they might work for a little while and then they stop working and they're just really confused and they're like, I just feel restricted, you know, and I don't know if I'm getting any better. So um, I've also I've also seen some some clients that have been told they have candida but have no um no lab test to back it up. And so they kind of live in fear of this organism that um, that is like cohabitating within their body and um, it might not actually be there. So I've actually had uh, uh, clients where practitioners have told them, oh, you have candida, you have yeast, you have yeast overgrowth, and then they did the test and it wasn't there. So um, that's kind of the first place I'm going to start here with Kristen is – or Kirsten – Oh, boy, that's one of those names that trips me up all the time. Um, But it doesn't sound like there was any tests done, right? She said that there was no – she didn't see any labs to back that up. So right now, it's kind of like she's chasing this elusive thing that she doesn't even know she has. Um, And going – you know, really changing kind of her lifestyle to – 
to treat something that she doesn't even know exists, which is, you know, that's really stressful. Um, I will say that candida in yeast may be hard to pick up on tests, even on really good, the, you know, uh, even on stool tests, it can be hard to pick up. Um, so the, one of the best, most sensitive tests for it would be an oat, uh, an organic acid test. So I would really, I think before you go down the rabbit hole of candida protocols, make sure you know what you're dealing with. And I would look into getting that test. The organic acid test, it's a urine test. And it screens for byproducts of metabolism. Um, and some of those byproducts can be really good markers, really sensitive markers for candida. Um, it's Candida is a hard to identify because there might not be any overt signs of yeast overgrowth in the body. Um, so if it is suspected, then it's really good uh, good to test for it just to make sure you know what you're you're dealing with. Um, there are two specific markers that you'd want to look for on that test, arabinose and tartaric acid. And I have no idea if I'm saying those right. I've only ever seen them written out. Um, but there you go. Well, don't um, ask me. That's you. That's totally you. Like, <laughs> arabinose. Um, but I, I do, I love this test. It's it's, I would say if like I had to pick a top three tests to run, um, this would be, this would definitely be in it. I do run it in my practice. It doesn't just test for yeast. Um, it can also show a number of different things, gut bacterial infections, leaky gut, neurotransmitter levels, which can be really helpful to assess uh, anxiety, depression, inflammation, mitochondria dysfunction, energy metabolism, detoxification issues, nutritional and antioxidant deficiencies, problems with uh, metabolisms of fatty acids. So obviously it's it really showcases a lot of what's going on within the body. So it's a great, really comprehensive test. It's not inexpensive. Um, it kind of, I personally, I offer to my private members for $400 and then non-members for $600, but uh, both of which cover the cost of analysis. But it can be a really tricky, confusing test to read. So I, I super wouldn't recommend doing it without a practitioner, um, especially one that knows how to read them, because trying to do it yourself, if even if you can order it, trying to read it yourself can can feel really overwhelming. I've, try, I've talked to people that tried to do it and just got, got really confused. Um, so it's not cheap, but I do think it's an awesome test because it does show you so much about what's going on. So that's really your first step. I would make sure that you know what you're dealing with before you go down the rabbit hole of more restriction and more diets. Um, and if there is a gut infection there, you do want to understand that treating through diet doesn't actually treat. So if there's an infection, a diet won't kill off the infection. Um, it won't cure the you know what the the issue. Um, it can certainly reduce symptoms. It can help to reduce inflammation, but you still have to address the infection. And again, you can go down every single rabbit hole of the internet and find a restrictive dietary protocol for every ailment that ever existed. But do understand that while diet can be helpful, it does not fix the uh, root cause of the issue if there is an actual infection, okay? And I think that's a little bit misunderstood. Obviously, I'm a huge proponent of diets. I think food can do a, a number of wonderful things. Um, but if there's a if there's a chronic GI issue, um, it might not be as simple as going on more, more restricted diet. Um, all right, so let's say you find out that you do actually have candida. There's kind of two schools of thought, and then there's 
an old, there is something that kind of bridges both of them. Um, the first kind of old school school of thought is the starve and kill. So you want to starve off the bacteria by going on this strict candida diet, and then you want to kill the bacteria with anti antifungals, right? Um, and then we have this whole idea of crowding out, where you help the immune system and the microbiome do a better job at keeping yeast overgrowth at bay. Um, and then there's you know kind of doing both of them together. Um, and just obviously, I have to say this, but what I'm about to say is not prescriptive. They're just ideas to look into and talk about with your own practitioner. This is just sort of like general guidelines, certainly not specific advice catered to you. But um, so we'll talk about some commonly used herbs, cat's claw, uva ursi, pa- <laughs> I'm going to butcher it, podarco, podiarco. Sure. Sure. Let's- <laughs> Again, I've seen it written... 7,000 times, and I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, I am not an herbalist. But those are all commonly traditionally used herbs um, that are antifungal, um, anti-yeast. But since you're sensitive to herbal antimicrobials, I would probably go another route, and I might look into a product called Candex. Um, It's not an herbal formula. It doesn't contain herbs. It contains enzymes. So there are enzymes that digest fiber pretty much. They break down the cell wall of candida. And that might be a gentler option for you to check out. Um, It serves a dual purpose because not only does it actually attack the cell of the fungus itself, but it can also break up biofilm. And that is something that you really have to think about with candida is – how – is a biofilm disruptor. Um, Biofilms are are basically like a sticky matrix that protect and cover bacteria, fungus, parasites. Um, and so the the those organisms can hide within them and it can allow them to hide from antibiotics, antifungals, and it can make them really resistant to treatment. So you might keep throwing herbals, you know, antimicrobials at the situation and see no effect if there's a biofilm involved because it's protecting it. It's coating coating it and protecting it from um, from treatment. And biofilms could actually also be an explanation as to why infections or overgrowths don't show up on stool tests, even if they're there, even if, you know, you have the GI symptoms and you have the infection, it might not show on a stool test. Um, so you do want to be able to break up that matrix, ba- break up that biofilm um, so the antifungals, the microbials can get into the actual infection and do their job, kill it off. So um, as far as products go, Claire Interface or Interface, Interface Plus are really good commonly used biofilm disruptors. Um, N-acetylcysteine, um, NAC, I don't know if anyone calls it NAC out there, but I sure do. NAC. Uh, it's another one that I've used as well. And I actually really like NAC because it's also a glutathione precursor. Um, glutathione is your body's master antioxidant. <laughs> like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> Get over here. Um, so it's really important. Um, I, I took I took Personally, I took NAC for a while and I, I felt a lot better when I was on it. But anyway, that's another biofilm film disruptor. So think about those type of things. And again, these are just ideas to bring to your own practitioner. Um, and then for the crowding out part, you want to look into Saccharomyces boulardii. This is a yeast-eating yeast and it's pretty effective for candida. It also increases oral tolerance, which is something we'll have to talk about on another episode, but that's important. Um, Lactobacillus ruteri can also have antifungal effects on candida. Um, Lactobacillus 
rhamnosus is another one. So make sure you're you are um, getting on some probiotic support, looking for those specific strains. And then also consider prebiotics. This is going to depend on your tolerance because some people don't tolerate prebiotics really that that well, um, can set off some GI symptoms. But uh, even pre-prebiotics because they'll, they'll help to anchor the probiotic in a way. Uh, prebiotics are fibers that feed probiotics. They feed good bacteria. And... Um, and they're really important because you can weed pathogenic overgrowth out, but if you don't have good flora around, then another pathogen can basically swoop right back in. So prebiotic fibers can help to increase more long-term stability by creating a hospitable environment for those beneficial commensal strains to grow, thrive, so they can reproduce, they can get established. It's kind of like throwing, you know, we take probiotics, just thinking that we're going to like totally rehab our microbiome. But it's basically like throwing foot soldiers down there without any food. Like they're going to die. You know, you have to give them food in order to do their job. And they, that kind of helps them to anchor in. So prebiotics is another thing to look into. And then you also, in, with this whole crowding out piece, you want to think about diet. And so as far as the diet piece goes, because I know this is a, a big question that Kirsten had, you, in my opinion, so this is just this is just one woman's opinion. You don't have to go crazy with restriction. Not everyone is going to agree with that. Um, there are certainly anti-candida diet evangelists out there. Uh, but doing a candida cleanse or a diet alone is kind of an outdated and ineffective treatment. Um, I mean, I would certainly avoid refined carbs, uh, refined starches, refined added sugars. You ask what foods to specifically stay away from those, you know, keep it, you know, you have to keep it pretty basic. Candida and other pathogenic bacteria do feed off of sugar. So you want to reduce your sugar consumption. Um, but as it, as it sounds like putting these long-term limitations on yourself is a bit of a stressor and it's kind of zapping you of your lust for life. Um, you know, someone coming to me with celiac disease or Hashimoto's or even autoimmunity, I'm going to tell them to stay away from gluten, hard stop, like just get off the gluten, right? And so for some people, this is going to feel challenging and annoying and impossible, but you got to do it. And eventually you figure out your life without gluten. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not saying there's, there's no time and place for restrictive diets or for food eliminations at all. That's not what I'm saying. But what we can see with long-term restrictive diets, this is like taking out big food groups. And I mean, she's talking about avoiding a lot of different foods. Um, and this is true for, for even for healing and, and therapeutic diets. It's, it disrupts the microbiome. Um, and by disruption, I mean there, it creates less diversity. And it's our current understanding that a less diverse microbiome is associated with more health problems, more inflammation, more autoimmunity. And so without diversity, it's harder to keep pathogenic bacteria or yeast at bay. And a diverse microbiome really depends on a diverse diet. So I'm going to like let that let that sink in. <laughs> like we cannot have diversity in the microbiome without diversity in the diet, okay? Um, you know, something that Dr. Kristen Graham brought up, I don't want to leave this out because it's really important. Um, so when I interviewed her on our last episode about biological dentistry, she had mentioned that candida can feed off of mercury. So I would, Kristen, if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd actually go back and listen to that because it might have some some juicy gems in there for you. But um, 
if you do have candida that's not responsive to treatment, I would look into heavy metals. Um, that might need to be cleared before the candida can be cleared, or you might need to approach both in conjunction with one another. So you can see it's like very multifactorial. There's, you know, there's a lot of different avenues. If you're not getting a good response one place, you can go to another place. Um, my thought is, is that if you, if you do indeed have candida and you've done a kill protocol and you haven't noticed any benefit, then it is something that you'd want to look into. Um, so, you know, I'd ask what might be your exposures to heavy metals? Are you reacting to jewelry or other metals? Um, these might be indications that there is an issue here. And um, whew, this is a lot of talking. Um, another thing she mentioned is her is her chronic UTIs. And I don't want to just overlook that. We kind of have to circle back around to that um, because chronic UTIs um, can be related to dysbiosis. So both the, the flora of the gut and the flora of the vagina can help keep bacteria in check and prevent it from getting into the urethra. When bacteria, particularly E. coli, get there, then that's a UTI. That's, a, that's the infection. Um, and so if there's if there's imbalance in the flora of the vagina and the gut, this can this can lead to, to chronic UTIs. Um, so lactobacillus, particularly can be helpful for this. So that might be something, if you're not already doing that, I would consider supplementing with with that. Um, also consider that other conditions can mimic urinary tract infections, uh, specifically interstitial cystitis. That's a mouthful to say. Um, it's also called painful bladder syndrome. And unlike a UTI, um, IC is not caused by bacteria. And I just want to throw that out there as something to consider since the symptoms can overlap. Um, there's a connection between IC and SIBO in the literature. So that might be another test to consider because clearing SIBO can improve IC symptoms in a lot of cases. So really anytime there's chronic pelvic pain, you do want to ask what is going on in the gut. Um, so... I know you were asking this question as both a patient and as an NTP student and a future practitioner. So uh, before I close out, I just want to take a moment to point out that in school, you, you'll probably learn a bunch of different protocols, right? That's what we learn in school. If your client or your patient has XYZ, then you do XYZ protocol. And it's good to have these tools in your toolbox because you always want something to lean back on. You always want a starting point. But as you, you get out into a practice and you start working with people, you'll see that there really is no one protocol for anything, not candida, not dysbiosis, not SIBO, whatever. Um, everyone responds differently to things. So I would say just don't hit your wagon to any one way of doing something. It sounds like you're really onto that anyway right now and you're asking all the right questions. So well done. Um, but I do want to point that out. So please uh, write back in. Keep us posted as to how it all how it all plays out. Cool. 
Okay, next question is from Tiffany. I was wondering at some point in your podcast, could you talk about protein as it relates to daily requirements and needs based on activity level? I hear so much conflicting information on this topic and especially in the world of CrossFit and weightlifting, I feel like there's this huge push to consume massive amounts of protein to the point where it makes me feel sick or I find myself consuming less optimal types of protein or shakes. So I think she kind of answered her own question a little bit, mm -hmm. right? The, <laughs> if you're eating something to the point of feeling sick, it's probably too much, probably too much. Um, if you're following some arbitrary rule for protein that has you eating less optimal types, it's probably too much. Um, like we always talk about on the show, we want to stay as close to a traditional way of eating as possible. So that's looks like eating an animal top to tail, not just eating the muscle meat like chicken breast, right? That's what we tend to do when we're hyper-focused on just getting in protein. So you really want to eat the whole egg, not just some weird egg white batter. You want to eat properly raised chickens with the skin. You want to eat the dark meat. You want to eat the fatter, you know, fattier varieties of, of fish. Um, so in, in terms of protein powders, I do think that they offer convenience and I, I use them myself, but I don't think that we should have to rely on protein powders in order to meet our protein needs. Like you really should be getting the bulk of your protein needs through food and then the protein powder is just like extra or it's like a convenient thing or it's like a post-workout thing. Um, and that's unless, of course, there's a, a – GI problem where you can't absorb protein well and then you'd look into a product that, you know, that helped with that. Um, but with all that said, I do think sometimes it's helpful to wrap our heads around some amounts. So do you want to cue that up, Kyle? I mean, I agree that if you're eating anything to the point of feeling sick, it is too much. Um, in terms of numbers, it, protein requirements range anywhere from um, 0.8 to 1 gram per kilogram of body weight and, and or higher. And it really depends on your age, your activity level, um, what your goal is, whether it's weight loss or gain, what your stress is like, if you have a chronic illness or blood sugar issues, there are just so many variables that can be used to calculate the quote unquote right amount. Excuse me. Are you saying that what's appropriate for somebody is based on many different factors? I think I am, Erin. I think I am. Well, I'll be. I know. So, I mean, I would say rather than get overwhelmed by counting macros and trying to stick to like certain percents of your total calories or calculating exact amounts using the grams per kilogram approach, I would really just try to focus on how you're feeling after meals. Are you getting hungry soon after you finish eating? Do you feel satisfied? Are you hitting an afternoon crash? Are you having a tough time putting on muscle? I mean, there are just so many, so many factors. So you need adequate amounts of protein, carbs, and fat every day to feel full and satisfied. But the catch is that the amounts that are going to make you feel that way are just going to look different for each person. So I think rather than try to calculate it and just force yourself to eat to a certain amount each day, I would really just try to check in with how you're feeling and try adjusting things based on that and continue to focus on the quality of the foods that you're eating because that really is always super important. 
And if you really have no idea if you're eating enough, you can start with the 0.8 to 1 gram per kilogram and just kind of adjust from there based on how you feel. Very cool. Uh, Protein needs is something that we're going to discuss in the upcoming carb compatibility project. So if there's something that you've been wondering about for yourself uh, and you want to explore more specifics about what amounts are best for you, definitely get on board because we do a little bit more with specifics like shoot for this many grams per day type of thing, what that looks like. All right, cool. Cool. That's it. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you. 